Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're excited to be hosting the .NET Developer Days Conference in Warsaw, Poland, October 23rd through the 25th. .NET Developer Days is one of the largest events in Central and Eastern Europe dedicated to application development on the .NET platform. We'll be recording a number of .NET Rocks episodes from the conference. Plus, we'll be hanging out with you. So register today at net.developerdays.pl. And we'll see you there. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And this is going to be a little different, this show. A little bit of a geek out. No, I think it's a geek out. I think we could accept that. I mean, I've, I've been loath to do too many geek outs just because at one show a week, I think people need a certain amount of technical content. But mm -hmm. when an opportunity like this comes along, you kind of got to go with it. Yeah, I'm sure you'll like it, everybody. Just stick around. But right now, let's uh, roll the crazy music for a thing we call Better Know a Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? Well, this is um, something that we talked about on the show before, and I'd like to thank my friend Richard Campbell for digging it up and uh, for that the... guy doesn't know anything. Yeah, because you know I, I haven't done a whole lot of home automation. Read zero. Um, I do have um, automatable locks and yep. cameras in the studio, but nothing really at home. So this is Mycroft AI, M-Y-C-R-O-F-T dot AI. And this is essentially voice control like you have with Siri and uh, Alexa and Cortana, but it's not using their networks. It all just runs on whatever box you want it to. And of course, we know that the, there's you know speech recognition in the .NET framework, but yeah, you know this is a this is a little bit different and it runs on a raspberry pi and then it works yeah have you used it richard well no i haven't had a chance to use it yet i do have some alexis and some google assistants and so forth but i think the big thing for this is at least you know where your data is going right you know do we get a week that goes by where we don't have a story about how your your voice data is being gathered by Amazon or Google or right. one of these other organizations. So right, yeah, you just you have some control over that. At first, I was pretty scared that uh, you know they were recording everything you said all the time, but that's just not the case. They're I, at least I haven't seen evidence of this. They record what you say to it. Well, and even if they are recording all the time, it's just a question of what do they do with it ultimately. Yeah, right. And how accessible is it? Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, it's a cool little gizmo. They they do make hardware too, right? Like you can buy a ready to go Mycroft Mark One, but uh, yeah, or you can just build it yourself. With which for our audience, I suspect you just grab a Raspberry Pi and go to town. Piecroft. <laughs> there you go. That's what they call it Piecroft. So that's it. Thanks for uh, thanks for that. Who's talking to us today, Richard? You know, we did talk about smart homes a while ago on a Geek Out uh, show twelve thirty two. Yep. So 400 shows ago, uh, December of 2015. And uh, it was a sort of traditional geek out, just you and I. And I talked a little bit about uh, uh, the Disney vision of a, of, a, of a smart home in the 1960s, which was really interesting, mm. where it's all about mom at home, you know, having automation, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. uh, and went on from there. Uh, actually, yeah, 1957, that's, that's an old home. Mm -hmm. So uh, this comment comes from Russ Wilson, who says, and admittedly, this is you know four, a better part of four years ago, three and a half years ago. 
Hey guys, thanks for all the work you put into these geek outs. I was particularly looking forward to this show because my wife and I just finished building our new house. I'm sure you're aware of most of the residential alarm companies that are offered today. Uh, most of them use Z-Wave technology for right. uh, windows and door sensors, smoke and carbon dioxide uh, detectors, automatic door locks, small appliance switches, thermostats, and so on. I was hoping you might touch on this particular technology during the show due to the ubiquity of it in the consumer market. Granted, the products that are available today aren't as sophisticated and as smart homey as, say, an ultrasonic-equipped milk jug cap, which is something <laughs> I mentioned on the show and we were right. laughing about, right. to determine the level of the milk left in the container. But there are certainly types of products that most consumers could use in a practical manner and introduce them to the future of the smart home. And as was pointed out earlier, one of the things I love most about my system is the peace of mind about being able to lock and close doors and windows and to be able to fix that problem for my office as opposed to having to turn around and go home to fix them. Right. The downside, as Carl mentioned, was the hackability of the Z-Wave protocol has been pointed out numerous times on countless .NET rock shows. Many of the wireless protocols in use today were not properly implemented from a security standpoint. And it's sad that I have to worry about the, quote, security of my home security system. Right. I'm not overly concerned about someone having access to my lights to mess around with me, but I do have a problem with someone being able to manipulate the physical security of my home, like unlocking doors or disabling sensors or disarming the entire system. From a practical standpoint, I don't think I have much to worry about that 99% of the local bad guys don't have the skill set to hack a residential alarm system. I mean, if they were that smart, why are they bad guys? Yeah. But it doesn't mean the system should be easy to infiltrate due to poorly implementation. Do you have any experience with the Z-Wave protocol? What do you think of this technology? Do you prefer something else? Have you heard of anything else coming down the pipe that might unseat Z-Wave as a residential standard? Thanks again and keep up the good work. Hmm. Now, the funny is when we this message was sent and so forth, I wasn't using Z-Wave. But in between that time, I've ended up with the place up on the coast. And the alarm company that we used used Z-Wave. And so I expanded on the system myself. And, uh, you know... Everything is hackable, kind of, to a degree, but uh, Z-Wave exploits are somewhat limited, and they are still seem to be remarkably ubiquitous, mostly because they're inexpensive. I guess it all yeah. depends on how much effort do you want your attackers to expend, yeah. and for what. And what they're able to do, and the fact that you have a, an alarm company in the loop, so that they are also w looking out for the reliability, security of this stuff matters a lot. Yep. Uh, it's always going to be a concern. The, the question is, what's the attack surface and what are we doing about it? So I think it's an ongoing thing, and I'm sure Mads has some comments on it. So, Russ, thank yeah. you so much for your comment. A copy of Used to Code Buy is on its way to you, and if you'd like a copy of Used to Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there, and if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Used to Code Buy. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet, and we'll Z-wave to you. Nice. Yeah. That's all I got. Sorry. I'll wave your Z's to you. I'll wave your Z's. I'll, I'll wave them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get Mads back on here. No, we're not talking about ASP.NET. We're talking about home automation. Mads is a program manager on the Visual Studio team at Microsoft, of course, with the privilege to work with the extension community and ecosystem. He's an avid extension writer himself with over 100 published extensions to the Visual Studio Marketplace. Before joining Microsoft, he spent a decade as a web developer working at both startups and enterprise companies. His wife and two young sons all enjoy and support his adventures in the world of home automation. Welcome back, Mads. Hello. Thanks for having me on again. It's been a while. Yeah, it sure has. You've been busy. Very. 
Yeah, I read the uh, blog post that uh, we'll link in the show notes, Home Automation Ideas. And what I liked about it was that it was all very non-technical. Yes. It's just about thinking out, thinking through the problems and how to solve them. Right. That's the. I think that's one of the pitfalls that many people fall into in that they, you know, it's so um, easy to kind of uh, think about what's possible. And then you start going down a path of, hey, it would be cool if I could do, you know, blue lights and all this sort of stuff. Maybe not really right. thinking about what are the problems that you're facing and how can home automation help solve those problems. And so I think uh, it's wise to take a step back and just basically look at how can I make the lives easier for anyone in my house? Of course, the people living there, my family, but also guests, guests that's been there before, guests that stay overnight mm -hmm. for an extended period of time, like when my parents visit, for instance, uh, but also people that come there for the first time. Um, like it should work for everyone and it should solve problems for everyone. And um, so taking a step back and um, start to sketch out ideas uh, and then start looking at what's out there and what could potentially help. I like how you not just focus on particular technologies or, or really what you're talking about is the, the, the architecture of it, but you're, you're not just focused on the different rooms and the different things, but you also think of the house as a whole entity, right? And the house has modes yep. and all of the other things in the house, you know, take their cue from that mode. Right. So just to explain what modes are. So most of these uh, home automation systems, they have the concept of modes. And it's basically something you can pivot your automations on. So typically you have a home mode. So when, when anyone is in the house, you mm -hmm. have an away mode. So when no one's in the house, and you might have a night mode, right? People are going to sleep uh, right. and so on. And so you can make these pivots. So for instance, have your lights come on automatically uh, when you're home, but not at night. Uh, mm -hmm. Because that would be annoying. Unless maybe mm -hmm. uh, the lights come on at a low dim and only some mm -hmm. of the lights some of the time. And so right. you can use these modes as a way to um, basically as a variable to control uh, the behavior of the house. Right. And also some are predicated on the others. Like you, your night mode may operate differently when you're home than when you're away. Yeah. So I don't operate with, uh, you know, aggregate modes. I'm either at home, away or asleep. <laughs> okay. And that's, you know, you do whatever works for you and your family. Um, and that's really the, that's really the main issue of home automation is that um, you can't buy a full solution because everyone is different. It, all houses are different. Uh, patterns of behavior within the house for, you know, between families are all different. And so all you right. really have to like make it your own over time, see what works and what doesn't. So it's hard to find like a recipe and say, Hey, just do this. And then you have an awesome, like, uh, behavior in your kitchen and this works great for all be bedrooms like you can't really do that unfortunately but we can get ideas and so i wrote a, a blog post of you know how i do my automations around the different how uh, rooms and mm. and at night and all this sort of stuff and um you know it's it can inspire you maybe some of it applies to you maybe you can uh you can get an idea and then run with it and modify it to your own needs um but you know, as a whole, I think we just don't have a lot of these recipes out there for people to learn from. It's unfortunate. I think you and Camel might suffer from the same disease, but um, and in terms of uh, doing things for the gee whiz factor that, you know, is kind of like a, a, con a an uber convenience, 
but it's kind of like what <laughs> like a, like for example uh you know you're you're coming home and you want to like push a button or time it so that you know the the oven turns on so your food is hot when you walk in the door these kinds of things like i don't know can you take it to a little bit of a silly extreme yeah i, I don't like the food one that kind of gives me the willies but you know what I'm talking about, right? People like yeah, you, they take, tell you about all these awesome things, and some of you're like, "Why don't you just like turn on a switch when you want?" You know, it's yeah. like I don't know. Right. I think there's a <clears throat> there's not there's a, a very clear line between uh, sort of things that makes good sense and things that make bad sense, and yeah. then there's some gray stuff in between, right? But yeah, yeah. something like automatically turn on the oven <laughs> when I unlock my front door, I think it's just in general a bad thing to do. It's just a bad <laughs> idea. Yeah. Right. Unless every single time that's exactly your next step after entering the door. It's not necessarily true. Now, I would like to hook it up to Alexa or something and say, you know, Alexa, set the oven to 350. I'd like that. You can get smart ovens that will do that. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's more that deliberate thing. The automatic thing gets really tricky. I, I played with geofencing. So the idea that my phone is in communication with my alarm system and when it gets within a certain proximity, it should start to do stuff. Like open the garage, you know, the, there's the, I push the button, open the garage door. And the, as soon as I get close to my garage door, it should just open. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Well, you know, <laughs> then you drive, then I drove down the street next to my street and my garage opened. Yeah. You know, wow. it's just like, it, it, it doesn't always do what you expect it to do. And, yeah. and GPS is remarkably unreliable, right? Sure. Like the number of times I drove up and it didn't open. Because it just was, you know, the phone was in a funk and it doesn't sure where I was. So I didn't cross the geofence. So, nope, that didn't work. But then, so the use case might be really important to you. And now you found some tech that didn't work. So then you keep going at it, right? You keep like exploring the uh, possibilities, the products that are available. Like how can you, how can you do that in a more reliable way? So mm -hmm. I did the same thing what you did. I just used my phone. But the problem is, well, when, what, what if, I'm at work. My wife is home. Well, okay, I have to install an app on her phone then so that she, her phone will work as a presence sensor, right? GPS. Hmm. Well, what if none of us are home but the nanny is, right? right. Or some family member visiting from out of, you know, uh, overnight and whatnot. Any number mm -hmm. of things. Yeah. Uh, mother -in -law. I can't ask anyone that ever comes into my house to install an app. That's just yeah. unrealistic. Hmm. And so there has to be a better way. So I've found that our patterns of use when it comes to like uh, unlocking doors and garage doors and that sort of stuff is is kind of simple. We got two cars and a one car garage. Okay. So at any one point, a given point in time, one of the cars wants to be in the garage and the other one has to be parked outside. Mm -hmm. So I put a couple of two small little sensors in the glove compartment of my two cars and also in my, uh, we have a, a family member that comes all the time. And so she gets one in her car too. And what happens is when you approach the house and you get into the range of in this case, they're SIGBI, so not Z-Wave, but SIGBI uh, right. sensors. They uh, connect to the hub, to the home automation hub. And as soon as the house sees them, the hub sees that they're there, it will make a decision. Is the garage door opening or open? And if, if it is, then it does nothing. If you park the car, because that means you're probably going to park in the garage, right? Right. Uh, so you, you want to open the garage door as you come closer to the house. Mm. So once you once you get into the range of the hub and Zigbee connects, um, if the garage door is open, you're going to go get into the garage. Or even if it's just open and you want to park outside, then 
for you know you know for our uh, scenario is that we're just going to go in through the garage. But if we park the car outside, the garage door is closed. That means that we're going to go in through the front door. And right, so right. when the car is detected, the front door unlocks. So I have a smart lock uh, on the front door, and I probably and it has like a keypad. And I probably punch in my code to open the door maybe once every two months. And I don't lock it either. That's also automated. All right. But um, isn't it, is it safer to just use the code? Um, yeah, <laughs> probably. Like someone could steal my car. Right. right. And then go out, like disconnect from the house by leaving and then come back after a period of time. And then they unlock the car. Oh, sorry, unlike the house. And like, is the difficulty of pushing the code outweigh the the safety issue to you? Yeah, when I come in with grocery bags or the you know the baby's car seat or something in one arm and okay, those uh, most of those that. smart locks actually make quite a bit of noise when they open. Yeah, and so having a sleeping baby in a car seat, like I'd rather, I'd like to avoid that. So I have the Schlage or Schlage Schlage. I'm not sure how you do that, but and I use smart things to. Uh, open the door with a button or, and, and I can assign codes to it. So, you know, if that was me before I got out of the car, I'd just open it with my phone with a button, but I like, you yeah. know, I like where you're going, but you can see we're sort of teetering on the automation thing. Well, you know, for, to me, if I have to use my phone for anything, mm-hmm. it's a failure. I need to improve. Right. Okay. So my wife does not have the app installed, so she cannot control anything. I see. Uh, that you normally do. And so um, that's by design. So we all prefer that. That ensures that anything I do is usable by everyone, basically. Right, I see. Yeah, my, my wife did ask for the, for the when, once we had an alarm system you could disarm from the phone, she's like, I want that. But others can just use the pad. You know, it, it's, it is useful to have those alternatives. Right. Right. Yeah, so the idea is, so the way I approach the, um, sort of the smart home is that, you know, I, I come from a web development background and it used to be big like 10 years ago, maybe even longer, the concept of progressive enhancements. Mm-hmm. So the idea of progressive enhancements is that, and let's just keep it to the web for now. So I, if you build a website, it should work in all browsers, on all platforms, on all devices. Mm. That's just crazy. And you, you can then put on like that's the core functionality of the website should work anywhere. But you can then add, usually through JavaScript, additional capabilities on top of that core behavior that lights up on browsers and platforms that support those new platform features, let's say. Right. And that's called the progressive enhancement. It just means that new features open up as they become available on your device, let's say. Right. But it's really important that the core is super functional for several different reasons. One is that everything should behave the way it used to. So when you want to turn on the lights, you go to the switch and you turn on the light, right? Like you have forever. Right. That should still work. And because then everyone can use it. There's no new concepts. And um, you then sprinkle in sort of the the fancy stuff on top of that. Um, And you want the lower, the core to be as thick as possible. Just like when you're building a website, as much functionality that you can push down to the core that works for everyone everywhere is better, right? Mm. And uh, that's my has been my um, my my whole approach to the, the home automation. 
basically to ensure the usability. And also, I had this, I had the, I had a power outage followed by uh, my internet going out for for eight days this February. Wow. And um, yeah, we had a big snowstorm here, and something really bad happened. I had a tree come down on the uh, some of the power lines, and you know, the internet line and whatnot uh, got severed. And so my automations just basically stopped behaving the way I wanted to. And so I started making some big changes to move as much down to the core stuff that didn't require an internet connection. Mm, right. Um, and so just for reference, I use smart things as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are pros and cons to all these different systems. I'm not saying smart things is the best. I'm kind of looking for a replacement. Okay. Um, but with smart things, you can, you can do a lot of things to run locally. And so I started moving any, everything I could over to run locally. Um, so that I'm always in full control, even when there's no internet. And that's just really important um, because eight days is a long time, right? Sure. One day is a long time if you can't turn on the lights, if you can't So do- were, the, were there things that were actually broken, Mads? Like you, you, your automation yeah, wasn't going to work, yeah. but could you at least turn on the lights manually and open the door locks manually and set the temperature manually? Yeah, but I'll tell you some really annoying things. So all the manual stuff like turning lights on and off, yeah. uh, still worked. I had the majority was still uh, in switches. So I don't do smart light bulbs. Uh, I do switches instead. So I replaced every single one of my switches with uh, Z-Wave switches. Right. And uh, they kind of worked. But all my home automation, sorry, motion sensors and door sensors that would, based on your movement or opening and closing doors, would automatically turn on lights. That continued to work because some of it was local. But I could not turn it off. Uh, because some of it just runs locally, like smart things can do something locally. And so right. some things I had without even thinking about it done locally. Hmm. And the problem was if, inter- if the internet is down, I can't use my phone app to connect, to tell it to not do certain behaviors. Oh, so you couldn't turn the automation off. I couldn't turn it off. And, you know, the behavior for when I'm home versus when I when at night is relying on the internet to make that change. Right. So that's a, that's a problem with smart things. And so... In the middle of the night, if there was movement in, in my kids' rooms, the lights would come on. Oops. And so I had I, – yeah, right. Big oops. So I had to do some uh, some uh, <laughs> mitigation right then and there. But then after the internet came back up, I started rewiring the whole thing and reprogramming everything. So uh, this uh, reminds me of, a, of an experience I had. And I think it was like at a coffee store, like a Dunkin' Donuts or something. You know, I go into the bathroom and I need to stay in there for a while, if you know what I mean. So, and of course, it's got a sensor light, and if you sit long enough on the toilet, the thing says, yeah, there's light shuts off all of a sudden. I'm like, hey, you know, (laughs) wave your hands a little bit, light comes back on. That's just annoying, (laughs) isn't it? Uh, Also for showering, for instance. Right. Um, So, uh, you know, the the simple uh, thing I did with that was if you close the door, I put a door sensor on the bathroom doors. If you close the door, automations are off. It will not turn the lights off again until the door is open. Does that mean if somebody goes in and the door closes? Whereas as soon as the door closes, out, automation turns off. All right. But it, when you so leave, when you walk, the door is going to So when you walk close. into the bathroom, your motion turns the lights on. Then you close the door so the automation is disabled. So it's not going to time out now. Right. But when you leave, the door is going to close again. Does that turn the automations off again? Right. So that's the that's the only problem I have, but it's a theoretical problem only. It's actually very few people, even guests, that uh, shuts the door afterwards. They might pull it ajar, but they don't close it fully. Yeah. 
I tend to think you leave your bathroom door open when there's nobody in there, so you know there's nobody in there. All right, but now yeah. you're imposing rules on your lifestyle to appease yeah. no, the technology. No, no, I don't. So the observation I did was that uh, when people leave, they don't actually close the door fully. And so that was what led me to say, okay, hey, there's a, there's a behavioral pattern here that I can just uh, tab into without anyone changing their behavior. So that's super important. No one hmm. should change behavior, right? That's a that's a very fundamental rule. Exactly why the whole idea of, of uh, requiring the use of a phone app is like, aban- like it's illegal <laughs> in my home. Like that shouldn't happen. All right. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's interesting to think in terms of just instrumenting various aspects of your house and seeing what the actual behavior is. Like putting sensors on your doors, figure out what happens with doors is is a cool idea. Although I'd also say occupancy sensing is really hard. Like actually knowing if a room is occupied. You got to connect, you can do it. Yeah, I guess that's true. A little bit expensive for each room. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, there's not really any good products out there. Uh, for that there's a lot of different things there's a lot of um you can get some i think they're called eye beacons that you can wear on your body but again you're changing behavior yeah, you change so that's behavior, a yeah. non-starter um but you know there are there so there are certain rooms that are just traditionally hard to automate and especially the bedroom master bedroom and if you if you go and search on forums for these different home automation hubs uh, you'll see a lot of questions about bedrooms because the problem with bedroom and i'm sure other rooms too um depending on your pattern um the problem with the bedroom is that it's used for so many different things it's hard to say that there's a, a certain pattern that is repeated constantly right uh people nap people sleep uh people relax people do all sorts of things and and so at some point you can't really automate you can't make single automation rules that apply to every situation. And at, a, at some point, that gets super annoying if you do it anyway. And so we went through so many iterations where we thought, okay, now we have like a good automation for doing lighting, let's say, in the bedroom, you know, only to find out like a week later that actually it was too annoying for certain scenarios. And so we had to abandon it. And not to point this out again, but it's just a light switch. It is not just a light switch. It's Come not? On. No, it's the, uh, <clears throat> what is it? Oh, how can I explain this? So we hardly ever touch a light switch. There are a couple of occasions where we do, but that's just because I haven't figured out how to do it uh, automatically yet for those particular scenarios. But the fact that you don't have to think about it at all, and it just happens, is fan- fantastic. A lot of the times I would go through a dark room because, oh, I'm just going to pass through it to the next and I don't have to, I don't care about turning on the lights or whatever. Uh, but you kind of would want it, right? Or you forget to turn off the lights afterwards. And so have things uh, behave the way that you, in your mind, would like. Not necessarily what you would do, but what you would ultimately would have liked to happen. That's where the home automation comes in. So you do get the lights on those uh, particular occasions where you might not have done it or you always forget to turn off the light or something like that. So for us, it's a highly uh, convenience or convenient thing to... Uh, simply just not think about it. And, you know, here's another thing. You're sitting down in the living room, you know, and it gets slowly darker outside. And at some point, you know, your movement is, you know, when it's picked up by the motion sensor and it says, hey, the light level now is actually pretty low. I'm going to just turn on the light based on the movement I just saw. 
So you can sit in a room and instead of going up to turn on the light on the wall, clicking the switch, it just happens automatically. Right. And so for us, for the living room, that's an actual use case where we've been iterating on and that we find very useful. And yes, it is just getting up and turning on the lights. You could argue that, but it's just a very wonderful feeling and it's very satisfying that it just happens automatically and you don't have to think about it. And especially with two young kids, that's even better. Um, so they're not tall enough to <laughs> to reach the light switches. And so they often want to go to their room to you know get some toys or whatever. And before I got the automation set up, they would ask us to come and turn on the lights. And of course, that's annoying <laughs> that we had to have to get up and go and turn on the lights, right? Uh, and that's it's very empowering for them that they can now just go into their room and lights come on. They can you know start playing with their toys or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a light switch. I will challenge that any day. I'm thinking of my scenario where I have a master bedroom that has one switch and it's right on the wall by the door. And when I come in, it goes up. And when I go out, it goes off. And I don't think about it either. Yep. But, you know, I can imagine if you're going through a series of hallways, each of them has multiple lights. You know, now you're spending more time thinking about, you know, the lights on, lights off, lights on, lights off. I can see where that would get annoying. And I can also see where getting up to turn the light on, you know, where if it just comes on naturally to fill in the ambient light. I can see yeah. that. Well, I for me the automation that got useful was for the guest room was being able to turn on the lights at night low when they go to find the bathroom because they don't know their way around and they also don't know how to set a light low and they don't want to blind themselves. So the fact that as soon as you step into the hallway, the light turns on at ten percent, so it's just enough to see, mm. and you don't have to do yeah, anything; that, it just happens. Right. That's a perfect use case. So you have light sensors. So what I do, instead of, of basing it off of like time of day or sunset, sunrise, and all, I base it on light sensors right? because that's just more accurate. So I don't know if you – I've never noticed this before I started doing home automation. But, you know, technically at sunset, of course, that changes uh, through the season, through the yeah. year, right, what time that is. But the light coming into the house at sunset – let's say it's clear blue sky. The light coming in the house at sunset in the winter versus spring and fall is just different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's much lighter in the summer at sunset than it is, let's say, in the winter or the fall mm. at sunset. So just going off of times based on sunset, sunrise, um, I found was not – got a little bit annoying. I'd say it's probably good enough for most people, but I'm a nerd, right? I have to I have to make <laughs> it perfect. And so, yeah, um, yeah I, so I, I started doing light sensors. Well, and especially in the Pacific Northwest where you – I know a sunset on a cloudy day and a sunset on a, on a blue sky day are very different creatures. Mm. You know, oh, it's yeah. much darker, Very. much sooner if it's cloudier. Yeah. So light sensors are always uh, kind of good. And if you can get them in the house where it actually, um, where your automation takes place, that's best. The problem is often that you do have lights on, right? And that's, you know, you're, you have a light bulb on and that's going to affect the amount of light in the, picked up by the, by the light sensor. Mm. And most light sensors don't update until every three minutes. Right. Um, and so that's usually not good enough. So what I've done is that I have light sensors around the outer windows of my house. So on all four corners, if you will. And they're sitting on the inside, inside the curtain next to the window. So I kind of get – so it doesn't matter if the curtains are uh, open or shut. The uh, I know what amount of light hits that side of the house. And, I mean, this is, again, like depending on your house, your layout, do you have a second floor and all this sort of stuff your mileage may vary. But for me, that actually works really, really well. Yeah. No, the, the, the trickier then is 
getting all these sensors to interact with each other, do you have a central hub of some kind that is gathering all the sensor data of your house? Yeah, so I use the the Samsung Smart Samsung Smart Things, right? Uh, V three, kind of looking for a for a replacement. N- not sure there's anything out there yet that meets my requirements. Uh, so I'm kind of I'm probably staying where I am right now on Samsung, which is actually really great. It's a it's a very user friendly um, platform where I can do pretty much anything I want. Uh, the downside is that um, to do anything advanced, uh, it requires cloud connectivity. Right. So, um, and I just don't know you're going to be able to get away from that these days, right? Like, just that seems to be the reality. You can, but then you're going to go down on usability. You're going to turn up the crank on learning curve, and you know, rolling your own hardware, like installing Home Assistant. Is that's another hub uh, software? Installing that on a Raspberry Pi, and then you know, buying like Zigbee and Z-Wave modules or or USB sticks, uh, and start doing all. And you know, I. I want a serviced product that just works, right? And it all works mm-hmm. locally. And yet, you still you have a certain amount of programming skill. Like you're not bringing in a person every time you want to make a change either. No, but I don't want to program it. Uh, well, let me <laughs> let me back up a little bit. I would love to program the rules that make up the logic of my automation, right? But I don't want to program to make it work, to make the system itself work, right. and I don't want to do hardware to make to enable that. Hmm. Um, it's just, it's, I guess it's just who I am, how I want to spend my time. Like people are different and this is, this is my preference, but we are starting to see new products coming out that can do sort of the same things, uh, but can run it all locally within your firewall. And, and, uh, I'm kind of waiting for the usability of those products to, to get better and have a great, uh, like app experience as well. Uh, you know, whether it's an app or it's a, a mobile website, it doesn't really matter to me, but something that is high fidelity and easy to use. Right. And I think we're going to get there within the next couple of years. Yeah. And, and I admit we're, we're the exception, right? Like we have technical skills. We want to do things that the average mortal is not interested in doing. Yeah. The problem is it's still too hard. Even even if you choose like this, the easy route, um, I guess the easiest thing to do today would probably be to get uh, Amazon Echo Plus that comes with a Zigbee um, radio installed. Right. So it doesn't do Z-Wave, but it does Zigbee. And so they're comparable. Uh, they're different, but they're comparable. And they can run locally. And so what you can do with Zigbee using Amazon Echo is that you can have like light switches and light bulbs and you can have motion sensors and contact sensor. So a contact sensor is usually something you would put on a door or a window to see when it's opening and closing. And then you can automate automate based on that. So with the Amazon Echo Plus, you can do very basic things. So for instance, when motion is detected, turn on the light. When motion is no longer detected after two minutes, turn off the lights. When the door is open, you know, in this time period, turn on the lights, something like that. But you can't really do much beyond that. So I think it's enough for people to kind of get to see whether or not home automation is is something for them. Um, But as soon as you want to do just even basic stuff, uh, it falls short and you need a hub. And so whether that's uh, Samsung Smart Things or Wink or Vera Plus or Habitat or Home Assistant or whatever it might be, there's there's a lot to choose from. Then that's what you need. You need to go there. And, um, you know, I realized that I started with the whole Amazon Echo and uh, very quickly uh, got disappointed <laughs> of its capabilities. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, so you definitely want to go with a Smart Things. Oh, sorry, with a hub. And um, 
yeah, I, I can only recommend it. And and uh, once you're bitten by the bug, there's just no turning back. <laughs> as long as it's serving you, right? Like that, that's always the question. Is, is it actually doing something useful for you? Yeah. So, you know, I when I was doing sort of the majority of the work, you know, I was always checking in with my wife to see if, if there were any issues or it was inconvenient or there was any, she had any issues. So I was always looking for feedback. Actually looking back at it, so right now I'm, I work on Visual Studio as a program manager to come up with features and designing features and so on. And the process for me has been very similar to that of designing a new feature for Visual Studio as it was to do the home automation. <laughs> right? You want to make sure that you have a perfect design that has been validated uh, by the people that are actually going to use it. Yeah. Um, and then you iterate and you have that uh, tight feedback loop that whenever something is doesn't seem right or is annoying or whatever it is, then you change it. And you, you keep going until it's perfect or you remove it. If it just couldn't, if you couldn't figure out how to work it out, uh, then you remove that feature and you let it, um, you, you think more about it. And then at some point, you know, you might figure out how to do it and then you try again. And so um, that's why I think it's been a huge success uh, at our house because everyone has been on board. And even when I'm not home, uh, I get a text from my wife saying, hey, can you uh, can you do it so that it doesn't start playing music when I come home? And uh, sure. And 30 seconds later, through an app on my phone, you know, from work, I have I've changed that behavior. And then two months later, she's asking me to do the reverse. And, and that's fine, too. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, no, I mean, that's at least okay. they're interacting with it. You know, the bigger thing I found when I came home after traveling for a while is like all of this stuff is broken and nobody's using it. Yeah. OK. So that's not so good. No, but that was one of the interesting truths, right? It's like, if it, well, you just needed to reboot this. Well, I'm not going to do that. So, okay, that it's that this isn't good enough. You know, I see examples of something way worse than that. Um, so just by browsing the different forums out there of what people are going through, uh, <laughs> and this is maybe more true when you're in an apartment, so you're renting instead of owning a home, is that you can't just change your switches and all that. So you see a no. lot more light bulbs, like smart light bulbs in apartments. And yep. the problem with a smart light bulb is that if you want to control it through a voice assistant or have some sort of automation, power has to be always on to that light bulb. Yes. Otherwise, it can't turn on automatically, right? And so what do you do if someone turns off the switch? <laughs> and so what I see people do is that they tape over switches or they like – get really angry at other members of the family if they don't remember to use the phone app to turn off the light, for instance. Right. And that's just the, the, the biggest anti-pattern that I can think of in this in this home automation world. Yeah, no, yeah, it's interesting to force people to use it. And turning lights off and on with your phone is silly. Like, the fact that I have to pull out my phone to do that is insane. The voice control I can live with. Even that I'm, I have issues with. Um, I would like to never, ever have to talk to a voice assistant again. Half the time, they don't understand what I'm saying. They're misinterpreting something. Um, and it's just annoying. Uh, and it could be because I've gotten, gotten used to not interacting with my electronics. Things happen automatically. I don't know if that's the case. To me, a voice assistant is just a button on the wall that I activate with my voice. It's nothing else. It has nothing to do with home automation. right? You could, you could maybe say it's smart home, but even that is a stretch. Uh, it just becomes a voice-controlled switch. That's all it is. It's still a switch. I'm curious. With Echo, did you install the nerd language uh, recognition module? <laughs> <laughs> Would that be something? 
No, 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 no. I mean, just like asking for music or whatnot. I mean, it's so often that she, she, see, I'm, I'm using it so much. It's a person, right? Um, Her. But um, that's the way it is. It's like we basically only use the voice assistant now to play music because it's still more convenient than to open the Sonos app and search yeah, right. for music you want to hear. Right. That is still the best use case in, in our home for, for dealing with voice assistance. But anytime I have to change uh, lights or anything like that, I'm like thinking, man, I need to automate things so I don't ever have to ask her again for this sort of stuff. We have song wars at my house. So Kelly will be mad at me and she'll say, Alexa, play free bird. And I'll say, <laughs> Alexa, stop. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then I'll play something she hates and then, you know, she'll play country music and then, you know, it goes on and on like that. Well, my three-year-old, he now figured out how to ask her to play all sorts of like Thomas the Tank Engine songs and whatnot. And it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. The little kids. Man, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. How many times can you listen to Let It Go? <laughs> oh, that, well, that's been a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. <laughs> you know, at least the VHS tapes used to wear out. Now that it's fully digital, it's never going to end. Mm. Right, right. Yeah. That's another thing people do. They automate their TVs. I don't have a TV, so I don't really have any uh, tips or tricks for any of that stuff. But, you know, people do that all the time. And I think it's really cool. Like, um, they would turn off the TV automatically when it's time for bed for the kids. So they would, like, turn off the iPads or the, or the you know, TVs so they have no other choice than go to bed, I guess. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, the big, the big one for me back when this was an issue and I still had teenagers was that internet connectivity just stopped at midnight. Right. Oh, yeah. That that changed everything. Right? It's just like, no, you know, and the fact that I didn't have to be there, I didn't have to do anything, there was no drama. It's just that, no, internet connectivity stops at midnight for certain devices around the house. But you also used to use it, I remember, you know, when they didn't want to clean their rooms or something like that, you just turned off everything. Well, like, you actually, you'd usually like, take remote control of the machine through VNC, <laughs> open up a notepad and type a little story. Hi. I'm your laundry, and I'm really sad laying all over the laundry room. I'd like to be finished up and put away. But as oh, long as you had the, the VNC control, their keyboard and mouse didn't work. And you know they never rebooted their machine, because that would have broken yeah. it. But they never did that. So hmm. it worked. <laughs> the funny thing, of course, is that their expectation is when, when the internet doesn't work, it's because they haven't done their chores. <laughs> right? That's. And I actually, I mean, in their 20s came to me one day because the internet was down because a truck had hit the pole outside the house. And they're like, Dad, saying, what do we do? Yeah, what did we do? Did we do We're really sorry. Like, I didn't mean to. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He goes, well, they, they, the internet's down. I, I presume we're in trouble. And like, no, sometimes the internet's down. I know it hasn't been that way for your whole life, but yeah. There, There's oh, people so doing boring. other things to, uh, you know, they're, basically doing home automation to help parenting <laughs> so oh. i've seen like examples of of some funny things like someone did a uh, you know basically the kids had an electronic uh toothbrush right mm -hmm. and they put it back on the charger whenever they're done and so they automate they automate it in a way that they put basically a uh, power meter so a power meter is just like a little outlet you plug into the to regular wall plug and then you plug in the toothbrush charger to that and now you can measure current flowing through huh. right, so basically if you had brushed your teeth used battery and you put it back in a certain amount of power was drawn by the charger 
Right. And so they'd set up an automation rule that would basically send their kids like text messages and all sorts of things if they hadn't brushed their teeth at a certain point in time at night. Nice. Right. Hmm. I don't know. I think that may be taken a little too far. <laughs> but it's funny. Yeah. It's funny and you can do it. Right. So, you know, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to go that far. But for laundry, there's a, there's some cool things. Right? There's some really convenient things you can do that simply wasn't possible before. So back to the argument with, hey, it's just a light switch. Well, consider the scenario. Uh, you do laundry, right? You have your, you know, the laundry is done. You now have wet clothes sitting in your washer and you need to put it in your dryer. But sometimes you forget, right? And this wet clothes sits there for a while. So wouldn't it be nice if you somehow was reminded, let's say, if it's been there for an hour that you, hey, you have wet clothes sitting in the, in the washer, you know, do something about it before it starts smelling, right? And so I did that. Um, I have a power meter. Again, so I know when the washer is running, which also means I know when it's stopped running. And so I have a door sensor on the door of the um, of the washer itself. So I know when it stops, when the washer stops running, and if the door hasn't been opened within an hour after that, I send a push notification to me and a text to my wife, right? Because she doesn't have the app that gives me the push, push notification. And I have all my um, Amazon Echoes around the house announced that there's wet clothes in the dryer. So that's something that is a scenario that simply wasn't uh, available before. Right. And there's plenty of those sort of things. It's just not a way, it's not a thing you think about, but yeah. Yeah, right. It's, it's interesting when you start to get enough sensors here that you can start to get some useful interplay between all of these things. Yeah, right. Doorbell. Well, what if you're in the backyard? Wouldn't it be nice if either you had a, a speaker out there that would say someone's at the door or you got a text or something to alert you that someone's at the door? Small things yeah, like that. I, I did that with a Nest Hello because, uh, you know, we, I even have trouble hearing it downstairs. Uh, the feature that I really liked on the Nest Hello that got popular is with the girls at home alone being able to use their phone to answer the door in a male voice. Did you right. say, leave the package, please? Or, you know, if it's uh, somebody selling something, you say, uh, yeah, hang on. Let me just take my clothes off and get some whiskey. <laughs> I'll be right you know, there. You do you, man. You do you. <laughs> <laughs> or get the, you know, recording of some dogs barking or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Martha, do that get my like shotgun. There's somebody at the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I see that for people doing like part of their alarm setup when they're away and someone rings the door. They have a MP3 of dogs barking. Right. Playing. Well, the only thing is it's got to be very convincing because if, especially if it repeats over and over again, yeah, you know, if somebody obvious. catches on to it's a recording, they're like, wait a minute. I don't know. Generally, I find the bad guys are lazy and they're, you know, that's why they're <laughs> bad guys. And they're looking for the easy mark. And as soon as you like it hard in any way, they're not interested. Let me introduce you to the neighborhood mountain lion. There you go. Well, we all have our <laughs> additional complexities. So one thing that I learned pretty early on, actually, um, was there's also – so all these sensors you can buy, which is sort of a very key element to home automation, right? Yeah, Motion sensors, sure. contact yeah. sensors, and so on. There's, a sh there's actually a lot of products out there. And they're all sort of – they range from like cheap – and by cheap, I mean maybe like $15 all the way up to, let's say, $80. And so you can relatively cheap start to like build out your sensor array. And, um, but then there's a huge difference between them and it's hard to know until you know, until you try them. And so 
I've learned that there are some cat, some gotchas and some some things that were, especially when it comes to speed of these sensors, is like super important. And so an example of this is, let's say you want to you go to the bathroom, right, and you want the lights to come on as soon as you walk in the door. So after playing around with this with sensors that weren't that fast, um, what happened is that if the lights don't come doesn't come on immediately your muscle memory and your guest's muscle memory have them reaching for the light switch. Mm-hmm. Sure. And if the lights come on just before you hit it, hit the, the switch is kind of annoying, right? It's really annoying that that happened. Um, especially for people that have uh, some of the smart switches only have a single switch. It doesn't have a rocker where you can click, you know, up for, for on and, and you click at the bottom to turn off. It just have a single button that does both that toggles. That's even worse, right? Because then you click and then lights that just came on automatically, you click and now it turns off again. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you would know this, Mads. How would you possibly know this? Well, my first, my first, (laughs) my first uh, switches were all um, like that, the ones I bought. And they weren't, they were actually Wi-Fi switches. And so that was before I converted everything to uh, Z-Wave. Right. So yeah, that was a huge problem. And so, so placement of the sensor and the speed of the sensor are like super crucial for uh, for not being annoying. And so that's something you learn along the way. And I think I have a blog post about like something that I recommend uh, or the whatever I use that, you know, from trial and error at least works for me better than other products. And it's not like the more expensive it is, the better it is. That's not how it is. True. Uh, us- usually it's the protocol that matters. So apparently – I got in a little bit of a trouble. Uh, yeah, I got in trouble, I guess. Oh, for uh, on the home automation uh, subreddit. Oh, it's you not know, too I difficult to get in trouble on a subreddit. <laughs> on subreddit, no, period, Reddit, period. Yeah, yeah. But I made the claim, which I granted it, it was probably a faulty claim, but that my observation was that Zigbee motion sensors were faster than C wave motion sensors, and I base it on like I other people have said the same, but I've tried. Like probably six different types of sensors, and the Zigbee ones are always faster than the Z-Wave. Now that could be my hub is just faster as pro- at, at processing Zigbee than it is processing Z-Wave. That is totally a possibility, because sure. technically there should be no speed difference in the two protocols. So it might be a coincidence, you know, maybe. And I don't care. I'm not married to either of those protocols. I don't care which I use. I use the product that I find the most useful. And for some reason. Um, when it comes to motion and door sensors, if you care about speed, Zigbee is the way to go. Do you do, are you finding situations where it's like you've had to buy into a particular tribe, and so classes of products aren't available to you? It used to be when I did um, when I had the Echo Plus, and it was Zigbee only. I couldn't do Z-Wave. Right, uh, that was a problem. Uh, no, I think with the with Smart Things as well as most of the other. Well, not all the others actually, but if if you have smart things or Habitat or Home Assistant or Has.io, uh, yeah, you can do whatever. Like it's all available. But then some of it is online only, so I can control my Zonas through um, the cloud only. But you know, I only listen to streaming music, so <laughs> I'm relying on internet to be there anyway for that particular scenario. So that's okay. Uh, but my thermostat is a Nest thermostat. And that requires cloud, but there really shouldn't be any reason to do that. Um, and so I don't know what Google has in 
in store for that. They just came out and said, hey, we're going to close down the API for Nest, and now you have to do Google Assistant instead, and we're hmm. going to take away all the automation possibilities of the Nest product. Right. But then a week later, they kind of reverted that. They got so much negative feedback. Uh, but who knows what's going to happen? And so, yeah, there are situations where I, I, I'm, you know, I don't get the local uh, experience that I uh, that I want, and that has to do with partly because of I'm using smart things instead. I think if you use Habitat or, or Home Assistant, they can actually talk to some of these other vendors directly, uh, like CP Link uh, switches, for instance. It's a cloud thing. Um, for smart things, but I think uh, the other ones can actually talk to them directly over the Wi-Fi without leaving uh, your local network. And so, so there there are small things like that, but um, nothing nothing problematic. Hmm. Cool. So what's next, man? What are you going to wire up next? <sighs> yeah. So I got a few things coming. Uh, blinds. I really want to automate a couple of blinds in the kids' rooms. You know, I have the white noise machines for them. So when they sleep, I get a little white noise for them, which is really helpful because, uh, first of all, it's really great for noise canceling. Basically, we can we can make more noise in the house while they're still asleep. But also, it plugs into a power meter into the wall. So I can tap into the event of turning on and off the, the white noise machine. So right now, when I turn on the white noise machine, the light dims in the room and automations in that room are disabled. So it would be nice if it also lowered uh, some blinds, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to, you know, manually. It's so hard to manually uh, do the curtains. So that's one thing I want to do. Um, I need to do some uh, robot vacuum stuff too. I haven't gotten into that yet. Uh, that's sort of an uh, – both blinds and the robot vacuum, they're kind of expensive um, because I, I want the good stuff. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, whenever I have uh, – budget for that i'll uh, i'll take a look um those are the two big ones um sounds fun yeah more more smart locks too i think it's a good thing may want to look at some cameras i'm not too big into the whole camera thing i think it's uh, i don't know it doesn't really do it for me i guess or smart doorbells the thing i have about smart doorbells is that i don't actually care to look at who's uh who's ringing my doorbell. Mm. I have my door. I can see through my door. I have a very small little house. It's not really a problem. And my problem is the design of the doorbell buttons. To me, they all look too plasticky. I, I would like something that looks nicer, different. And uh, there's just not a single product out there. Not one that doesn't look plasticky. Now they're all made of plastic. I, I think the, there was a couple of ring models that were aluminum. Yeah, but the, you know, the one with the camera in it, so first of all, I don't want the camera, but yeah, the ones that has the camera in it, which almost all of them do, it's hard to know what the button is and what the camera is. They just You have like a, this rectangular thing with two round things on them, one being a lens and one being a button. Now, which one do you push? It's just not that obvious. And I yeah. The Nest one was pretty good about the, there's a light around the button that throbs, which I think draws the eye better. It's not just for it's just not for me. Yeah, well, I was fascinated. We did a Halloween with the the Nest Hello installed, and all the kids knew what it was. Huh. Okay. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's becoming more and more normal, right? It's, uh, I think it is. Yeah. It's the new normal, and you know, prices come, do come down. There's, yep. but it's still not plug and play. You, you, there, you no, still need to know what you're doing. Yeah, you do need to go th jump through some hoops to make that stuff work. It's not trivial. 
if you stay on like a, a single vendor thing, if you just do Hue light bulbs and you use the Hue app, you're good to go. That's easy, right? If you do the the Nest or the Ring ecosystem with cameras and thermostats and smoke detectors and whatnot, you're probably also going to be successful, right? You don't need to know a lot of different things. But then you don't get all the door sensors, smart, you know, motion sensors, light sensors, and switches. And as soon as you want to go in there, you're a little bit on your own, unfortunately. Yeah. No, as soon as you add some any of the complexity to it, it's just not trivial. Yeah. But to me, that's where the real value is, unfortunately. Yeah, with a, for sure. Yeah. It's still not easy. I, but for this audience, I mean, I think we're the group of people who can really cope with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can get quite a bit with it. And I will say, I only uh, I only get uh, got electrocuted once doing all my switches. So I think it's and I you know I'm not an electrician by any means. So I think it's uh, most people can can replace switches with smart switches on their own. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not that difficult to do. Depending, there are there are things you need to know like neutral wires and not killing yourself. Hey, that's a good <laughs> idea. Get a headlamp. Do you know a headlamp is twenty bucks? Get a headlamp and turn the frickin' breaker off. Mm. Yeah, right. And then follow the instructions. They're usually pretty good. Yeah, they're usually pretty good. But yeah, understand what a neutral wire is because that's going to kill you every time. Yeah, right. And I don't mean that literally. I mean that figuratively. Right. That mm-hmm. it's just like you're not going to succeed if this. Most of those smart switches need a neutral wire, and if you don't have one, you're going to have problems, and you can't work around yeah. it. There's no shortcuts. You will cause a fire. Ask me how. Well, I there do. will be one short. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Mads, thanks very much. It was fun, mostly listening to you and Richard geek out. But I, I thought I, I hope I uh, contributed at least a little bit. Hey, man, it was fun being on again. Thanks so much. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm